Welcome to the Elevating Funeral Service podcast. If you want to run a successful funeral home, cemetery, or pet cremation service, you don't have to be the one that has the lowest price. You do need to be the one that offers the most value, provides the best customer experience, and clearly communicates that in your marketing. On this weekly podcast, Ellery and Welton will show easy ways to demonstrate value to families and create differentiation that helps you stand out from the competition. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Elevating Funeral Service podcast. I'm your host, Ellery Bowker. I'm with my good friend and co-host, Welton Hong. And tonight, we're lucky enough to have Jake Johnson with Johnson Consulting with us. And we've got a really great episode. We're going to be talking about how to make your funeral home more valuable if you ever should decide to sell it. So, Jake, thank you for joining us tonight. We certainly appreciate it. Um, Thank you. I think uh, the majority of the funeral world knows you. But for those that don't, would you mind kind of telling us who you are and what Johnson Consulting does and so Jake Johnson, uh, Johnson Consulting Group, uh, we've been around since the uh, late 90s, but uh, I came on board in 2004, and uh, primary focus being in mergers and acquisitions uh, for the funeral space. So all things funeral businesses, helping people buy, sell, succession planning, uh, valuations, and then we off- also offer back office support and accounting, business consultings, uh, and a technology firm, and then I own a funeral home as well. So a little bit of everything, but primarily on business valuation and uh, helping people maximize their value and, and, and be successful as they move forward. Awesome. Awesome. And well, you're doing good. Well, yeah, just <laughs> things are so starting to open up here in Vegas. So be hitting restaurants. It's been yeah. fun. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, for the listeners, what we try to do on this uh, podcast every week is we try to come and talk about one subject and take a deep dive on it that hopefully you as funeral owners and cemeterians can have some actionable takeaways. Um, And so today we've got a really good episode. What we're going to be talking about, like I said, is how to increase the value of your funeral home. So to kind of set the stage, I think if you're a funeral owner pretty much anywhere in America and you're approached by uh, an acquirer or you decide that you want to sell your funeral home, Uh, There can often be a disconnect between what you feel the funeral home is worth and what the acquirer feels as a fair market value. Um, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. So what I thought we might do is have Jake on here, who's got uh, arguably a ton of experience in this area. And so he's going to be able to lend a lot of knowledge to this. What I want to do today is talk about specifically what the acquirers look at. So if you're a funeral home owner, you know, should you ever decide to sell? What are they looking for? And, and I think by having that knowledge, it can help you kind of maybe position things a little bit differently in your business or maybe start to tighten things up. Um, but it's going to be a really interesting conversation. So, um, Jake, I wanted to talk about one thing first, because I know this happens. Um, and, and the first kind of big question, because this is probably could be funny in some instances and maybe sad in others. But what are the funeral home owners most surprised at? Uh, when they start down the path of an acquisition. So they're approached or they approach somebody and they get this dating started. What are the funeral owners most surprised at? I think that there's uh, a couple of things uh, that uh, there's certainly uh, looking at financial information, case counts, things of that nature. But, you know, there's a, a deep respect by the buyer for who is in the payroll, what those people are going to be doing going forward, what's the succession on that payroll look like. So when this uh, seller slows down, who's going to run it? And so I think there's a lot of attention to the staffing part, but uh, I would say one of the surprises most people get is they they feel like, um, okay, they're preparing to sell. And so they feel like I got to get all my personal expenses in there because I'm the only small business owner in the United States that has personal expenses in my funeral home and I don't want to get caught. (laughs) And the fact of the matter is, 
they're in there. People know that. They respect that. They, they can appreciate it. It just has to be well-documented and uh, so that they can make the appropriate adjustments. So I think they're, they're kind of surprised by the fact that um, you, can, you can just you know, enter into the process with your personal expenses in there and uh, uh, maybe not have uh, all, like maybe there's a, you know, assets that need some improvements, what have you, but buyers are still interested. You know, it's all about uh, assessing that risk and what the opportunity is. And, uh, and that opportunity can play a big part. Uh, you know, certainly you hope that it trumps any risk and, and that's what creates good value. So yeah, I think those are some surprises. So you're, you're saying that they're surprised that, that the buyer would still be interested, even though they had personal expenses mixed in with their business expenses? Yeah, I think they would say, you know, uh, I'll take uh, my business, you know, uh, um, if the way I run my business, and I don't take much out of it, but uh, the fact is, at the end of the day, after paying debts, there's not much left over. And that's intended that way. Sure. You know, it's, I'm a small business, and I'm trying to uh, minimize taxes. I'm not avoiding them, right. but I'm doing what, what I should do prudently. And so I think buyers would be surprised that, or sellers would be surprised when they go to sell. You know, they know that their business is worth X or, or they have an idea of what that range may be more is what it is, but they're not sure how you get there because they know at the end of the day, there's not much money left for them. They've, they've run either the personal expenses or they just run it differently. And, and, uh, you know, they're not, there, there's the notion of the outsourcing of accounting, outsourcing of accounting and those different types of functions that when these buyers come in, if they're bigger buyers, that is on these bigger deals, it's amazing the, the profile of EBITDA difference. It can be uh, a difference of uh, thinking that you make net 200000 and then thinking you make 500000 It's often why you hear a seller say, I got eight times for my business, you know, eight times multiple. And the fact of the matter is, but you know, buyer came in, had efficiencies, and their EBITDA was higher. And so the multiple was probably the five and a half to six times. So. Right, right. Yeah, they don't understand the add backs and all of the other stuff that, that they yep. do. Yeah. Yeah, I know the same thing here. I mean, my goal at the end of the year is to make zero, you know, I mean, I don't right. even want to make any money. You know? We're optimizing for growth and not for not for selling. So if we were trying to sell it, we'd be, we'd be doing things a lot differently. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing with that is, how can you, you know, what is, what are the, what are the appropriate addbacks? So if we know that's acceptable, what are those benchmarks that says, okay, this is a believable result. And so I can narrow in on value. And that's, uh, that's the important thing where you find that act outside expertise for. Yeah. Um, would you say that the majority of uh, acquisition talks, the seller is surprised that there's a disconnect on the value or, or do you think there, that most of the time there is a disconnect? I, I think so. I, I mean, there's uh, there's the hopes and dreams and the realities. And so, quite frankly, it happens both ways. I mean, I've had uh, sellers that if they got uh, um, uh, make up numbers, let's say they thought their business was worth $10 million and they thought that was a stretch. And uh, we market the business and all of a sudden they get $14 million. I mean, we, we've had businesses where the difference was $5 million from what they thought they would get, you know, on larger deals, you know, and, and not uncommon that it's $500,000 or a million. And so it's, uh, it's uh, really that and how it's presented. And, and if for them to know, you know, if you're going to bring me a business and say you're worth um, $5 million, but your EBITDA is 50% of revenues, well, I don't believe it and I don't think it's sustainable. If you say your EBITDA is 20%, you want 5 million, well, you might not be asking for enough, or maybe it is 20% and there's a problem. So it's kind of like, you know, it's all these factors you're looking at. Yeah. Uh, just, to, just to 
quick aside, um, with the acquisitions that are taking place now, is it still going to be predominantly family? Uh, that's, that's acquiring? Right, right. Or employees versus corporations? Uh, you'd like or... to think so. I mean, really, it, it honestly, it's uh, uh, for, for anybody. I mean, the, the biggest joy is you could sell to those people that put all that hard work in and, and employees and staff. The problem becomes in the financing that they can get that's available and there needs to be more of that in our space that um, uh, on the larger deals, there's, there's good, you know, there's the SBA products. We know that out there, we got those banks that do that. Uh, But the cash flow based side of things, uh, cash flow based financing that used to be around in our business back in, you know, the nineties and maybe even early 2000s, well, definitely early 2000s, definitely help people buy more than one. I, you know, when I, when I bought my business, you know, SBA has a max, I think, of five million right now. And so, if your hopes and dreams were just to buy one funeral home or maybe two, you know, that that's that's going to work out for you probably. But if you're trying to buy a whole bunch, you know, you're going to. I'm hearing rumblings that SBA might increase that uh, maximum threshold per borrower, but uh, you know, there's some limitations to it for sure. So, yeah, interesting. So let's kind of get into the to the meat and potatoes here. So I own a funeral home. You know, I'm not intending to sell it, right? But somebody may come along and buy it. I'm going to age. Maybe I don't have any staff that wants it or no children that are interested in entering the business. Um, and I want to know now, what do acquirers look for? So if I wanted to maybe position my business, we'll talk about some specific things I could do as a funeral owner, but why don't we talk more of, of specifically what they look for? So let's say that you have a mm-hmm. pile of money and you want to go out and you want to buy a funeral home. What are you looking for as an acquirer? Right. <clears throat> so the first thing is, can I get a, a, a good, uh, as deep as I can assessment on what the risks are? So I, I'm first looking at the risk, but the, then uh, while, after I've done that, what are, or during the time I'm doing that, what are the opportunities that reside? And it's kind of like this, uh, this curve that goes up and, or, or in these crossing points that at some point the risk becomes too much more than the opportunity. And it's just, you know, you realize, okay, so there's more effort for the reward. And so I'm going to either pay a little less or I'm going to be less interested in general, or I'm just not going to buy it. But it's where you find where there's a lot of upside opportunity and um, the risk is minimal. And the when I say risk minimal, um, you know, one notion could be uh, from a marketplace assessment that uh, you're a funeral home that has no competition. Well, as I see it, that's risk. Somebody's going to enter that market. So it's more, uh, that uh, I see minimal risk because you're a great funeral home and you compete well against a good competitor, you know, and, and you have a good position. And uh, it's more your, your franchise name in that market that, you know, everybody knows you, but the, the fact is you deliver good service and they come to you for multiple other reasons as well. So, um, I mean, that's just a quick start of what they're looking for, but certainly a risk versus reward, you know, uh, risk versus opportunity, and then effort versus reward for sure. And so they're, they're looking for clean financials. They're looking for um, good, um, either redundancy, if you will, within the payroll, if that's possible. But certainly that there's been some attention to succession planning and that you're not selling a business that when you retire, so is half your staff because they're all at retirement, you know, that right. you've got a good good uh, payroll mix, if you will. So one question. I'm sorry. Um, no, go ahead, Well, The question along the lines of that is, do you, Buyers these days, do they look at, for example, their online reputation, their branding, how well they're branded, things like that? I know those aren't finite, tied to any financials, but are people starting to look into those software? Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, uh, you know, how are, how are is, uh, when you look into a market, I mean, we do it for our own funeral home. How many reviews do we have? What are our customers saying about us from the, the survey results we get back? What are some of those metrics that, uh, um, rather than the owner telling me how they're succeeding, that the market can tell me how they're succeeding and delivering what they do. So, yeah, right. I think it's an important, uh, certainly important due diligence item, but also uh, helps uh, from that um, risk mitigation or that opportunity that exists, uh, knowing that the, they're a good brand in the market. Right. Mm-hmm. Got it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. A great question. Uh, Jake, talk about what some of the risks are. So obviously risk assessment is huge. It's your money, right? You don't want to lose it. Right. Uh, you're mm-hmm. looking at, you're looking at a funeral home. Um, I know you mentioned one risk is that they don't have a competitor, right? Because somebody can come in there and <laughs> right. Could be. quickly. Right. What are some of the other risks? Yeah. So, and I mentioned about staff. So uh, uh, we had one business we sold where the, the, the business had really handed over the reins to their key manager, who's very um, effective manager, very good. I mean, we worked with this manager to even do the valuation, but at the end of the day, you know, he was the guy that, that, that really was running the place. And so when it came to value, valuation, it really impacted the value of the business. And so how are you as an owner um, balancing uh, that redundancy? So if you get hit by a bus, but not giving too much away where it's in fact impacting your own value. So, and, and uh, the staff there behind that person and what their roles are. And, you know, I have examples I certainly expand on uh, of, you know, average sale and how that impacts value. But um, I mean, it's certainly a good start as we look at that. But uh, um, I think about uh, the, and, and the question being the, uh, what are people looking for at, that creates the value or uh, reframe or frame that question again for me? I, I went down what, the road in the payroll. Yeah. What some of the risks are. The risks, right. So uh, certainly, as we mentioned, the competition, you talk, um, I talked about the staff. So the other risks would be uh, it, what I call a client specificity within the business. But is it a, a strictly Jewish faith service business? Is it strictly Afro- African-American business? Um, is it non-denominational and, and serving all? Um, those businesses have uh uh, different risks associated with the person's name or ties to the religious community or, you know, the ethnicity in the market. And they're things to, to be considered and they affect value, quite frankly. Um, I think uh, other risks include the, you know, the path, what I call the path of progress in the market. You know, as the city's growing, are you growing with the city? Or are you stuck in this one place and not expanding beyond that? And so, you know, I've seen, we we have uh, had fantastic businesses that we've marketed in the past that if we had sold them maybe five years before they came to us, there was some runway for that buyer to take over what was a great business and, and with the you know more energy expand into a new market as opposed to they came to us five years later and now we're selling a business where it start that path of progress has left. And so now buyers not only got to come in and try to, you know, resurrect and, and secure what's going on there, but knows that they still have to expand into the other market. So path to progress is always a big one for me. Um, I think the, uh, uh, thinking about the mix of the business, but more so, um, a lot of, uh, value is driven from, uh, the trend that's going on in the business. And it starts with the revenue trend, of course. I mean, if nothing else, is the business consistently doing 
let's say like my business, a million four, a million five, million three, million four, is it staying in that range or is it this downward trend or is it an upward trend? And uh, then you can dig into that deeper on what's their case mix look like and, and who do they service. So um, if you don't have a good trend, why don't you have the good trend and how can you mitigate that and flatten it out at a minimum? Because we know, I mean, funeral businesses can be hard to grow, but you certainly, yeah, I think uh, from the, from, if I were to uh, statistics, certainly most of them you'd like to think a funeral home is going to be flat for the most part. But um, if they're not that, probably the next trend is that they're going down. And then if you're so lucky that you're going up and, and you're not going up by just adding trade calls, but you're actually adding calls and, and or growing in that market. Well, that's the business that's going to get the most value. Ironically, it's usually the owner that says, well, I'm not ready to sell. And I've always said, usually when you're going to get the most value is when you're not ready to sell, because that means you got a good business and, and people will recognize it. So, yeah, right. so risks and rewards. That makes total sense. I often wonder, you know, what, you know, maybe a funeral was approached by a, you know, company wanted to buy them and maybe they even threw out some numbers five years ago and that number still, you know, noodling back there. And then they, they come mm-hmm. down and they want to sell and, you know, it's not the same, right? Different market, different valuation. And then all of a sudden that's, you know, got to be like a punch in the gut you know, because this is all probably well, all about timing, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, timing is a good piece of it. I'm, um, in the 2000s, as we came out, as, as I came back into the uh, M&A world, you know, people, buyers were still fidgety on buying anything and you didn't have the major players in there. And so, but they, but the sellers that have been presented nice offers in the late nineties were still feeling those numbers. And so, you know, timing as it relates to uh, the financing world, even, you know, what are the rates look like? I mean, it's a good rate market right now. And uh, you've got good interest from venture capitalist firms in our space. And uh, so there's a more of a discipline in what buyers are buying, but uh, the money's cheap right now, you know, and it's a good uh, profession to be in industry industry of of sorts to be in compared to some others right now. So um, I'd have to say what's what the the result is, which is always a question is, you know, what what's the market look like, what the multiples look like, and they're very healthy right now for good businesses really are. You just uh, you just made me think of a question. So obviously, there's a lot of private equity money floating around right now, and they're coming after the funeral business. Uh, I don't see it on the funeral home side because that's not the side I'm on. I see it on the vendor side, and we all know what's going on right now, and some other stuff's about to you know become public about it. Do you see the private equity money on the funeral home side? Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. The only problem they have in in the funeral space is that it's uh, easier to ask for. Uh, 50 million to go out and buy businesses, then ask for a million or two million. So, so they want growth and they want it fast. And uh, when you run those models for internal rate of returns, it makes sense. I mean, they need to throw that in, build it up, uh, because you're not going to, in a funeral space, you're not going to, you're probably not going to grow your EBITDA in a short period of time uh, where you get a good return on your money in a short period of time by just trying to find calls. So you're going to buy lots of buildings, lots of funeral businesses, and you need to do it quick. And if you can't, it's uh, they're, they're not interested. So they are. And so then they need to find the right people that can help them expand and grow exponentially. So, And there's a lot of competition right now for funeral homes, funeral businesses for sale. Do you see that, uh, do you see on the vendor side that they're, they're going to continue 
the private equity money is going to kind of continue? I would think so, in the, in the, at least in the short term, until they either discover it was the best thing idea they ever had or it was the worst idea they ever had. You know, it's the, we all live it. You know, our space is singles and doubles, and it's good. And, we, you know, we, we, those of us that know that, we, we operate in that space, that, that framework well, and, and we succeed in that regard. But if you come in and you're looking to go from zero to a billion or, or five, whatever that is, I mean, it can be tough. You know, it's not to... I never I, I enjoy seeing people do things beyond what you think is possible because it, it provides new perspective. Right. And so I think it remains to be seen. But it, it would uh, um, I think if that does not go so well in that regard with the amount with the anticipation for growth in the uh, uh, technology and vendor segment of this space, I think uh, it might be difficult because it's you know, it's a. Uh, it's a lot about, I mean, they want to work with you, you know, Welton, they want to work with Ellery, they want to work with Jake, you know, it's, uh, and as much as you like, you know, there's the book, you know, make a service out of a pro or a product out of a service, you know, um, there's still that personal component uh, within our space and, and uh, thank, thank God for it, but it can be difficult when you're trying to grow into like a commodity, I guess, if you will. Yeah, that makes sense. Jake, I have a question for you. So, uh, let's say if it's a decent sized firm, typically the owners are still intimately involved. And uh, as a buyer, are they looking, obviously your business will be a little more equi um, more higher valuation if the owner is not as involved. You have good processes in place already. But how do you find that fine boundary as now you have to hire somebody before you sell or it's like now you're... <laughs> Is yeah, it's usually, I mean, there's kind of two, two factors. So even the small markets, so we own a, few, uh, a small funeral home, less than hundred calls in Batesville, Indiana. It's a great funeral home. Um, and, uh, you know, when the manager there will retire, we're going to need a manager there, and, you know, to replace him because there's, you know, I, I, I'm not thinking of all the staff there, but it's just different than if you bought, um, you know, a multiple location business that's got multiple managers and it's the owners more in the market and not in the day to day. Right. Um, you know, it's uh, I find that that crossover is the small markets and certainly just the smaller businesses. So call it uh, 110 funerals or less, depending on where you are in the U.S. Um, you know, it might be 200 calls if you're in California, right. you know, West Coast or whatever. But uh, so it might be more revenue driven of 500,000, 800,000, where, um, you know, if somebody's going to come in and buy that, it might be more of an owner operator or it's a tuck in, if you will, with the, the next guy, you know, funeral home owner. And that can impact value for sure. Yeah. But the more so, I mean, everybody would love, I don't know. I, you know, I, I look at what my father did when he grew his acquisition company and he embraced the former ownership and uh, there's more work that's involved in that, you know, it's uh, um, because you now have, I mean, you've, you've taken one entrepreneur and it was acquired by another entrepreneur and you try to agree on things. I mean, it's, that can be difficult no matter who you are and, and what profession. So much less having multiple funeral business owners that you keep uh, involved. But, uh, you know, there's one thing that's been interesting for me as I've grown my company is, you know, some sometimes you know, we forget that people who retire, they're not necessarily looking for um, um to be uh, um, having to be involved in everything. They just like to be heard. You know, like they, they like to still know that their, their opinion matters because it did not too long ago. And now nobody wants to listen to them. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of value in the owners when you use them correctly. And, uh, and, you know, you hope that the owner, when it gets to that point, 
understands that they've sold their business and now there's a new owner. Um, and then you also hope that the new owner understands that that owner brought value and that they can work together. And when they do, it's, uh, it's beautiful. I mean, it's really, that's the way I have it at my funeral home. You know, George Menke, who my father first bought that funeral home from him. And now I did George's still there, you oh, know, wow. and I embrace him coming there and, uh, he does the parts he likes to do and he knows where we have to take over to our parts. And so it's a great marriage and, you know, he gets to still be in his town and hold his head high. I hope, I think he does. And, and so I th- my, I guess my answer to your comment is the owners are, are certainly critical in the business. They can be in their own way. And so, you know, if there's a good understanding of what they will do and not do going forward, I think they can be a great asset. So, yeah. right. thank you. All right. So let's say that I'm the funeral owner, you know, you throw a number out there. I feel like it's good. And now we sign our letter of intent. And now this is the part I never anybody talk about. What does due diligence look like for a <laughs> funeral home to be acquired? Right, right. This is so where all this, it, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? Yeah. So now is where you take, you know, a, a marketing analysis, a market package analysis that maybe you were only given four to six weeks to really review and limited access, well, no access to the ownership probably. And now you're digging into those more. You're saying, you know, you're trying to get a better understanding of uh, uh, through you know, building inspections and rolling stock. Uh, you know, deeper discussions and, and really starting to get into also the payroll part of how are we now going to run this? You know, we, we theorize that this is how it's going to run. Is this really how it's going to work? And, uh, and so, you know, there's going to be some key people that probably need to speak to, and that can be difficult though, because, you know, you haven't closed yet. They don't own it. And so it, that again, well, to your point on size, you know, the bigger the business is, the better chance you typically have to maybe have some of those discussions because those key people might even already known what's going on. The smaller the business is, it's uh, ironically, the, you can get intimate with what's going on because you're talking to the owner who's also running everything, but it's hard to talk to the staff and, until you get closer to the close because deals fall apart. And, and inevitably everybody thinks they're losing their job and they're not, you know, they're needed at the business, but the due diligence involves, yeah, building inspections, financial inspections. Um, in that process, you're starting to line out as a buyer, um, uh, how you're going to own the business, you know, are you going to set up a new entity? What your bank account's going to look like? Your, uh, uh, much of the due diligence ends up coming in what the bank due diligence is and what the sure. bank needs to do. That's you know, the bank might be yeah. the first holdup, not, not because they're, they intentionally are holding it up, but there's a lot of work they need to do from an underwriting perspective. It's a deeper dive than, you know, some of those things would never impact how the success of the funeral business is. It's just the things they need to check off the list, you know? So, and then you got to add, you know, more formal documents, asset purchase agreements. You're taking that term sheet, that letter of intent, and you're breaking it apart into all the more expansive documents, such as consulting agreements, covenants not to compete in our space, you know, asset or stock purchase agreements, uh, um, bill of sales. There's, you know, there's just a host of things that now um, become, the finer points, as I always say, there's a, you know, so, you know, people get really excited. They're under a letter of intent and they feel like it's done. And, and, uh, and it might even have been, and it might've been a struggle to get there, you know, some frustrating points and, and uh, adversarial comments, but now that we're done, you know, now the LOI is done, they feel good about it. And I always say, well, listen, 
these things might come up, you know, there's a good chance they can come up again as we go through these agreements and just know it's part of the process. You know, don't take it personal and let's, you know, work ourselves through it and, and uh, we'll, you'll be happy in the end. So, but you know, due diligence, certainly deeper dive into the initial analysis that you've done of the business. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because this will be uh, um, enlightening. Where does, what are the snags in due diligence? I mean, because obviously, you know, they're going to ask for, you know, board meeting minutes and, you know, just some of that stuff that they probably are not doing. What do you see most commonly as the snag? You're not going to get much of a review of the board meeting minutes, to be quite honest. Uh, You know, those things are kind of, in fact, I've been to closings where they bring it to the table and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, the board meeting minutes. (laughs) It's just, you know, you just pass over it. Um, well, I guess a better question maybe, would be what what are they what does the acquirer want during due diligence that the funeral homes generally have a hard time providing? Yeah, I think it's going to be the deeper access to things. Depending on the size of the business, you're now really starting to ask questions that, if you were trying to hide the fact that you were selling, which you should, quite frankly, at some level, or, or frame it that hey, we're doing evaluation for a succession plan. That's usually the, the comment we use, and it's, it's appropriate because it, le- it can lead into things like this. But uh, that deeper access where you're uh, having the accountant uh, pull up uh, detail behind uh, um, um, expenses that required further review, uh, a lot of it re- resides in payroll, though really does like uh now it's time to really say okay you told me this person can do it i i need to know i need to know more about this person i need to know more about um uh how you guys handle these funerals when they come in uh, that everything is adequately staffed you tell me that you can run at this percentage of payroll but i, I need to be convinced you know i believed it through this part of the process because uh that's all i had access to and that's my offer but now i need to make sure my offer still stands basically and it usually does if if you've provided the, the correct amount of information, which is not too much, but not too little, and a good, well-thought-out marketing package, you'll usually, uh, as intrusive as due diligence is, you'll usually end up with a result that your value is still what you thought it was. So, But uh, the things that are difficult are really getting more into the payroll side of things. Um, and then I'd say, um, as they, you know, usually you're buying the property, so there's the inspections and then inevitably because funeral homes have been around so long that you've got, you know, maybe a boundary issue occurs or there's a tank that was in the ground that never was a problem for you. But now the buyer, you know, now the bank wants it out of there. And so that's, that might hold things up, you know, environmental things, what have you. So um, those are some of the snags that can come up. Um, but really, you know, if you're prepared as an owner and you got some help, and because the fact of the matter is you still have your day job, you're still handling families right. and what have you. So it's a large distraction is the big thing. So how are you going to ha- assign this out or get the help to help you through that thing? So, okay. And Jake, I'm just curious, how often the offer changes during due diligence? Very rarely, um, but it, but it, but it has, it, it, I've had transactions where it does and where it gets to the point where the difference just it kills the deal or uh, maybe uh, a portion is uh, put in, you know, they try to do an earn out, which can be difficult to track, or they might put it in like a, a deferred payment where you kind of prove out that the new competitor isn't going to take half your business or, or whatever. But in general, it stays with what the offer was. It was presented um, where it becomes a problem. The biggest thing that causes problems and offer adjustments is when you didn't fairly represent 
the numbers to begin with. Like you, you said you didn't need the, you know, you were, you were cutting way too much more than what's really is personal expense or you're running it so uh, thin in payroll uh, and it's working, but you're not going to be there anymore. And the first thing everybody's going to do is say, I'm not working here anymore until you get to meet two more funeral directors. And so, you know, that you're being fair about um, the fact that you're no longer going to be there. And while you're comfortable with working 80 hours a week, Others should expect to maybe work 50, you know, 40 or 50. I mean, you just have to be reasonable to expectations. And usually it's just that result in upfront analysis to make sure that you're fairly, you're fairly looking at your own financials before you go out and let others look at them, you know. Awesome. Well, let's, let's jump into the last section here, which is what are some things owners can do today to try to get themselves set up for a sale later, even if they don't want to sell, right? What should, mm-hmm. they, what should they be doing in case that ever happens? Yep. So the big, so a couple, there's some obvious things to me that they need to do and, and they should be starting to do it now if they're not already doing it. They should have good accounting, good financial statements. So when somebody asks for them, it's very easy to follow and it's not a mess from one year to the next. Because if a buyer can't develop a quick and easy trend on expense management and revenues, that's one tick in that risk, risk column, you know, versus the opportunity. Um, they uh, absolutely should be monitoring their customer results, at, uh, both on the survey metrics, how they're posting online, your comment, Welton, and then also their sales average. Uh, I do a presentation to show the variance between average sales between two funeral directors. I think the spread is like $600, and it ends up resulting in an enterprise value loss of about 130000 when you do it to the bottom line times the multiple. And wow. so what's interesting, because it's all trend-driven, if you're going to, if you hadn't done any of that and you want to sell today, well, it's going to, you know, you hadn't done all that, but maybe you started six months ago. You're probably not going to get much value benefit out of it, although you, that was good of you to do. You know, it's just, it was a good practice. If you started it three years ago and uh, now, now it's time to look at what the value is, there, I have cases where uh, you're talking about adding enterprise value of a half million plus, you know, to a million, just by doing things that we all know we should be doing, training our staff, meeting with them, talking about their presentations, what's their average sale look like, why is Joe's better than Jane's, what, what can we do to um, make that uh, um, closer, and, and, uh, and certainly how do we merchandise our rooms and how do we present our services and and how are we trying to get every every case that comes in that funeral home uh or funeral business or cemetery what have you uh because each of those translates to a you know a value you know as they say um i think every ten thousand you know if you look at um my presentations on average sale i mean i think a hundred dollars in average sale increase on a 500 call firm if you add that to the bottom line uh You've got uh, what is that? You know, fifty about three hundred thousand dollars in additional value. But wow. if your average sale dropped a hundred dollars on your five hundred call firm, then that was a decline of three hundred thousand in value. The good news is you'll never know it because you're going to ask me for the value uh, that one day, and you're you've already lost a hundred dollars. So I'm just going to tell you what the value is, and you never knew knew what it was with three hundred thousand more. So you know, start working on that stuff now, really. You're coming to that number because you're adding fifty thousand dollars value plus uh, six plus times a multiple. multiple. I took like I just took an average of six time multiple just to, for example purposes. But yeah, and it's very real. Yeah. And so if you've seen, you know, if you've got, uh, if you see that your average has gone from five thousand out to forty eight hundred or forty 
whatever the number is, and it's clearly, from a trend standpoint, it's going to be hard to convince somebody to keep it at 5000 and you are a 500-call firm, you have absolutely lost at least 300000 in value to your firm on a trend analysis. You know, And we don't think of it that way, right? I mean, that's not how you think of things. But uh, it's real when it gets time. <laughs> I saw you do a presentation out in California one time, and, and you talked about that. And I remember looking around that room, and people's eyes got really big. Because what seems <laughs> insignificant, right, becomes very significant when it when it comes time to uh, to sell. So yeah, absolutely. I, and it's, it's a, a lot of compounding thing. compounding that goes on there, and the result is, uh, like I say, the good news is you'll never really know what that result is because you're not unless you're really proactive and doing evaluation on an annual basis, which is not a bad thing to do. The fact is, you're going to get it. You end up getting it when it's time to sell, and it is what it is, as they say, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think if I was the funeral owner listening to this, I think the, the lesson for me would just be to be intentional, you know, to really look at your numbers and know where you're at um, so that it's not a surprise, you know, and I think the, the, the lesson also too, and I'm sure there's a lot of horror stories here would be, you know, don't wait until someone approaches you to, you know, try to get the stuff put together because then you're going to be doing it, you know, out of necessity, right, and as opposed to doing it proactively. Right. I always say, I have a presentation that say denial is not a river in Egypt, as they say. And <laughs> right. so, you know, you're, um, you know, don't be in denial on this stuff that it can't happen to you. I mean, you know, always be tracking the redundancy and the, your staff and, and their quality and, and helping build their quality or finding quality people because that translates into value as well. But certainly those average, those average sales and how those people are presenting, um, and just the very nature of just being organized and intentional within your organization, you know, the tools are out there, you know, to monitor your sales average regularly within most point of sales systems. And you can do deeper dives with, with more consulting on that, but you know, the tools are out there. And so the question is, you know, what is your dashboard that you use at your business to track that stuff? Maybe it's quarterly. Maybe it's, it, it, to me, it's weekly. But, you know, what are the things you look at and kind of so you can kind of see things that are trending one way or the other and do something about it before it's too late? You know, my dad, this reminds me, he used to tell me that, you know, if you looked inside the if you looked inside of a car, you could tell how well a person maintained the engine. Right. right. There's a correlation between that. And I think about if I was the acquirer. And, and I wanted to approach you. And, you know, if I ask for your financials and it's an apocalyptic event, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to know that this whole thing is in disarray. But if you say, okay, give me 10 minutes, right. And I'll run these reports and hand them to you. And you know, the numbers without even looking at them, you know, then I'm going to think that there's a lot better chance that this thing is going to be successful. So it's those mental check marks, right. You know, how, how easy was it to get financials, how the financials look, what is the payroll? You know, it's the financial and non-financial, we call it the, our value matrix, but, you know, looking inside, but also the outside of the business and, and how, what kind of attentions they're, they're paying to things. You know, there's businesses that out there still that, you know, they might not have a point of sale system or, or their use of it is very minimal. And, you know, getting reports out of it is to your point, uh, you know, it takes too long. And, and uh, um, th that while you're as a buyer, you're eager, you want to buy and you convince yourself of anything, it starts wearing on you. You start saying, okay, there's, there's something going on here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, da the dashboard can't be your check register. <laughs> right. Right. Or your check register can't be your, your monitor. I mean, you know, I have a lot that say, well, I've got enough in the bank, so I, you know, I'm fine. And so, you know, really, what is that? And it, it even comes down to uh, analysis we've done recently on firms where receivables were high. So um, if a buyer is going to go in there 
And now they're going to do what we should be doing in receivables. And maybe it's more of a 15 day versus 60, you know, uh, are the clients all going to be like, Whoa, I'm not going there anymore. They don't, they don't give you a deal anymore. They ask for the money. <laughs> so, you know, it's not about just the, the, the average and, and how well we're treating the families, but if we're not collecting it, it really, it, 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 it mattered the families, but it's not mattering to us anymore that's as right. business owners. So, yeah, that's yeah. Right. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter what your revenue is if you can't collect it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Jake, uh, um, you've been super gracious and well, and I certainly appreciate it. I know the audience definitely does. Um, I could talk about hours and hours about this stuff. I love it. Um, and I think it's just important that the funeral owners just at least think about it, you know, be intentional about it. Um, you know, because ultimately it's going to create more value for your funeral home if you are intentional, with, even whether, whether you want to sell it or not. I think at the end of the day, that's going to be doing that. So, uh, Jake, again, most people know you, but how can people reach out to you if they want to get a hold of you? I'm sure you accept yep. LinkedIn requests yeah, and all that other stuff. Email, sure. You got to find me on LinkedIn. Uh, uh, but uh, you've got my the email address, jjohnson at johnsonconsulting.com. Certainly uh, our uh, our main phone number there as well, 480-556-8500. But uh the one thing that, uh, that you and you guys do it as well is in this space is, uh, you know, we're all kind of in it together, especially right now and, and just uh, helping each other out. And I've always found, as you're doing, even with this podcast, that, uh, you know, you give back. And uh, when people when people are ready, they think of you. So, you know, if it's just general questions, whatever, you know, people should reach out and ask. You know, I'm not going to charge them for that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, when when they're ready, they're ready. You know, yeah. but in the meantime, we're all trying to help each other out. So, yeah, that's exactly how we feel. That's why we started this podcast was to be able to, you know, teach the funeral owners stuff that you know they may not be able to learn elsewhere or, or don't even think about. You know, and that's why we want to kind of go down that path. But again, Jake, thank you so much for joining us yeah. this evening. We certainly appreciate it. So, I guess we'll talk to everybody next week. Thanks, Welton. Thank Thank you. you. See ya.